The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. In today's message, we continue in the second chapter of the book of Haggai with God's encouragement to the children of Israel who had gone back from the captivity and begun to rebuild the temple. You may recall that that work had been stopped for 15 years, but Haggai's message inspired them to get back to work. When opposition arose, they became discouraged again. But as God always is faithful, he sent them another message of encouragement, telling them to look to him and also to deal with any sin in their lives and build up the faith in their hearts that all of us need to be able to serve him in the way that we ought to. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Haggai, as you recall, is prophesying at the end of the Babylonian captivity. After the Babylonians came in and took Israel or Judah, the southern kingdom, captive and took them away. And that's when the book of Daniel was written. That's when we read uh, the prophecies of Jeremiah and the prophecies of Ezekiel. Um, we, we find that the Babylonians were, were brought upon them by God as a chastening matter because of all that they had done uh, to reject the Lord. And we, we talked tonight about a little bit about the shedding of innocent blood uh, in the abortion mills of our country. Well, in that day, if you go back to the end of 2 Kings and the end of 2 Chronicles, 
you'll read that one of the primary reasons God brought the chastening upon Judah is because of the shedding of innocent blood, primarily by Manasseh, who was a wicked, wicked king, the most wicked king of Judah in its history. And by the way, if you just read 2 Kings, you'll think, well, he probably died and went to hell. He was probably a reprobate. But if you go over to 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles tells us about a time when even that wicked king repented. And he was, he was carried captive himself personally. Uh, and, and then he repented and he cried out to God and God blessed him. And we're told he knew the Lord. So I believe he was a child of God. We sing that song, Brother Mackey, uh, that, that, pre, that sacred flood from Jesus' veins was free to take away a Mary's or Manasseh's stains or sins more vile than they. Even Manasseh, who was the straw that broke the camel's back in the judgment of God coming upon Judah, was a child of God. And he shed innocent blood. He made his children pass through the fire. That is, he sacrificed them to the gods of Baal and the Canaanites over there. But now we find that after 70 years, God has sent them home. And you remember what happened in Haggai. I don't want to review it, spend too much time reviewing, but just to, so we'll orient ourselves to where we are. Uh, in the time of Haggai, the children of Israel under Zerubbabel, who was, should have been the king, he was in the kingly line, he was the governor now, under the, under the auspices of the Persian Empire. And uh, Joshua, the son of Josedek, who was the high priest, under them, they had gone back and they had started to rebuild the temple. But they got stopped by opposition, by the enemies of the kingdom of God. They got stopped. And the king, who was not the king that sent them back, a new king stopped it by decree. And that's understandable, but the problem was, as you recall, they became complacent. And instead of trying to overturn that decree and to get back to the work of God, they just started doing their own thing, and they started building their own houses, and they started living it up in a way and neglecting the house of God. And, and you remember the problem, that lasted for 15 years. And a whole generation grew up. And a whole generation of teenagers became adults and moved out. And the next thing you know, there's been over a decade of neglect of the public worship of God. Oh, how easy it is for that to happen. Oh, how easy it is. You know, you think, well, it can't happen to us. Yes, it can. It can happen to us. All we've got to do is become complacent. You know, it's easier not to come to church or to support the church or to get involved in the church or to be involved in public worship. It's a lot easier. You know, it's not, it's not that I've ever neglected, I've ever made a, a conscious decision that I'm going I'm to quit worshiping the way I need to worship and do something else. It's just that it's easier not to. It's just so much easier to, you know, inertia is a real thing. <laughs> inertia, the law of inertia says that, a, it's even a law of gravity. It says that an object will continue in motion until acted upon by an outside force. <laughs> in other words, if you're not careful, you'll just keep going the direction you're going. So they quit for 15 years. But then Haggai came on the scene, and then Zechariah, if you want to read it, it's a little longer book. He said, He's asked the question, he said, is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses, your nice houses, and this house lie waste? And he said, consider your ways. You better get back to work. It's not complicated. We've, we've seen that. The work of the kingdom of God is not complicated. The world tries to complicate it. 
The world talks about megachurches and campuses here and programs there and, 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 and ball teams over here, but it's not complicated. All they had to do was go up to the mountain in verse 8 of chapter 1, bring wood and build the house. <laughs> they didn't need to appoint a committee. They didn't need to study it with a commission. They just needed to go get to work. And beloved, the work of the kingdom of God is simple like that. We don't have to get people saved for eternal heaven. We can't do that. We don't have to get people born again. We can't do that. All we got to do is preach the word. You know, that's what he told Timothy. Timothy, I charge you, therefore, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. It's, it's simple. I don't even have to make it up. <laughs> you know, you say, well, boy, I guess it's hard to come up with sermons. Well, I grant you there's work involved in studying and finding what the Lord wants you to preach, but I've never had to create a message. Brother Buddy and I, you know, Brother Buddy doesn't go home and say, let me, let me brainstorm about what kind of topics we can talk about. It's just simple. It's written down. You know, sometimes when I've studied and been trying to figure out what I need to preach, I just pick the word up and start reading, you know. Next thing you know, there it is. It's not something I have to come up with. And you remember they started back. They got started, and with, <laughs> I love it, within about 30 days or three weeks, I think it was, they got started back in the work. But in chapter 2, we saw that within about three months' time, discouragement had already started hitting them. You know, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can start out with a great zeal, but pretty soon you burn out. You know, he tells us that in the 13th chapter of Matthew in the parable of the sower, that there are those that receive the word anon with joy. They get excited about the truths of God's grace, but as soon as a little persecution comes up, they leave. They quit. You know, that's why he said you got to press into the kingdom. And that means it, it literally carries the idea of fighting your way in. It's, it, it's violence. He said the, the, the violent take it by force. You know, and he's not talking about, you know, somebody standing guard here at this door and somebody at the back door and you've got to run the gauntlet to get in here and sit down in a pew. The gauntlet you've got to run doesn't involve the other members. It involves you and me. I have to run the gauntlet of my heart every time I come here to the house of the Lord because I'm the one I have to fight against. It's the natural man. It's the devil. It's the world. There's a lot more interesting stuff going on out there in the world right now than what's happening here, at least according to our fleshly way of thinking. But the truth is, when you come in here, you'll find that what you really need is right here. So they got, they got discouraged. And God sent them a message. He began to encourage them. We saw that last time. He said, I'm with you. And by the way, is that not all we need? I mean, I, mean, I love the fact that, that I have so many good, sweet, precious companions here at this church. Fellowship unlike any place I've ever been. And I love you all dearly. And I know that if I called, you'd do everything you could to get there. I've called Brother Glendon before. <laughs> I've called others before. And they'll do everything they can to get. And you know I would do everything I can to get to you. But there have been times when you have called and I'm physically unable to get there. I'm with you. I will be there if I can, but I'm, I want to be there. I'm going to try to be there, but there are times I can't. And there are times you can't be there for me. But the God of this universe is always with us. 
It doesn't matter if you're in Timbuktu. It doesn't matter if you're in the Horn of Africa. You're separated from all of your people, all of your family. He said, I am with thee. What else do we need? See, that means something more than me saying I'm with you. The Lord being with us is the most encouragement we can have. And he said, he said I'm with thee. I'm with thee. I'll be with you. And he says, by the way, just in case you've forgotten, I've got all power. He tells us that early on in verses 6 and 7. You know, I've shaken. He said, I've shaken heavens and the earth, and I'm going to shake them again. He moved, he moved kingdoms for them. Did you know that the, it was the Babylonians that took them captive? You know why it was the Persians that sent them back? Because God raised up the Persians to take down the Babylonians. <laughs> All, and it wasn't because of economics and all kinds of historical theories. It was all because of the people of God. Let me just say this here before I go any further, because I'm, I'm reviewing more than I intended, but I just, I, I just want to say this. There's more about this story than just, oh, how neat it is that the people of God went back to Jerusalem. There's more importance to it than this. Micah tells us about a little place called Bethlehem Ephratah. And we're told that out of these shall come the one that would be the ruler of the nations. He who is from old, from everlasting. You understand that there are messianic uh, implications to them going back from the captivity. Because Jesus, they had to be there because that's where Jesus was going to be born. This is more to it than just a neat little story. And by the way, that's the last thing he said to him. I know you're discouraged about how small this place looks compared to the old temple. I know you've seen it. Some of you old men, we read in Ezra how some of the old men saw it and wept when they laid the foundations of the temple because it was nothing compared to Solomon's temple. God tells through Haggai, he said, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what he's talking about there? The Lord Jesus Christ is going to walk in this temple. And as small as it may look compared to the old temple, as little and dinky as it may be compared to Solomon's porches in the temple there, it's going to be greater because the Lord Jesus Christ himself is going to walk in this temple and teach in this temple and drive out the money changers from this temple and be right there and, and, and be, able to, 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 they'll be able to see him as a man. Oh, what a glorious thing that'll be. See, what he's saying there, he's saying, look upward. Look upward, okay? You're being discouraged. People are, are, are running you down from outside. You're being discouraged from the inside. Quit looking around you and look up. Look upward. But then in chapter 2, beginning in verse 10, he gives them another message. He gives them another message. He says, look inward. I want you to start reading there tonight. In chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. See, the first thing he gives them here is a message about sin. 
He says, look inward. Now you look upward, I'm with you, I'm going to do these things, but then you need to also look inward, and that's a message for us today. We need to always keep our vision toward heaven, but we need to be examining ourselves as well. Not examining ourselves to see whether we're going to heaven or not, but examining ourselves because we are going to heaven to see if we're in the right fellowship with God or not. Now notice what he says. Let me, let's go through this chapter, this verse 12 again. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment. In other words, he's got the holy flesh of the sacrifice and he's carrying it around. And while he's carrying it around, you know, it's almost like you could see him holding that, that sacrifice and touching the bread with it, touching the wine with it, touching oil with it, the meat or the pottage. And he says, doing that, is that going to make that other stuff holy? Is that going to make that meat and oil and pottage and, and wine holy? And the answer is no. The answer is no. You don't make something holy by just being around something else is holy. In other words, just coming and showing up at church doesn't make you holy. We're in a holy place, I, I, I trust. Not because it's anything special about the building, but because the Lord is meeting with us here. But just showing up is not going to make us holy. Now, the, the flip side of it is this. If you, if you have touched, now you can turn and read it over in uh, Numbers chapter 19. I'm not going to turn there, but basically over in, over in Numbers chapter 19, it says if, you, if someone is unclean, has, has, has touched a dead body or done something else to become unclean, and then they touch some other things, it says... If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. The law was that if you were unclean and you touch somebody else, you make them unclean. Now here's the lesson, okay? The lesson is basically that a holy ritual that's performed with some unconfronted, unjudged, habitual sin in our lives can't make us holy. In other words, unlike our brethren and sisters who believe that just going to church and performing the sacrament or, or making confession, that's all you got to do. You can do what you want to during the week, and then you can show up and just all this, this holy ritual is going to do away with your sin. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Church attendance is important, but church attendance alone is not going to make you any closer in fellowship with God. If we're out there... Living it like, you know. Now look, understand what I'm saying. I'm talking to children of God tonight. I'm not talking about doing something to get yourself in a position to get you to heaven. I'm talking to people who are going to heaven, okay? I, I trust that everyone under the sound of my voice is a child of God going to heaven. But you know, he tells us in one place that the foundation of God standeth sure, the Lord knoweth them that are his, that's the sovereignty of God. That's the sovereignty of God in eternal salvation. But, you know, there's a, there's a latter part to that verse. It doesn't end there. It says, uh, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And it says, and let everyone that nameth the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In other words, you've been saved. You've been made a child of God. Now we ought to act like it. <laughs> That's just the bottom line, you know. Act like, Daddy, you say, act like you're somebody, you know. Make your father proud, live in the right way. Make our heavenly father proud. See, what had happened to the nation of Judah before the captivity is they had gotten caught up in ritual. And by the way, you're going to see it again when 
Jesus comes on the scene. The Pharisees were caught up in ritual, washing the hands and making the sacrifices and living holier than thou in their own minds and being self-righteous in their own minds and not taking care of the things that were in their heart. He said, outside, you're beautiful. You're wearing the right robes. You're looking like you ought to look, but you're like a whited sepulcher, like one of these tombs out here. We don't want to go dig up the tomb, do we? We don't want to go dig up the casket because what we'll find in there is dead men's bones. The whited sepulcher is beautiful. I love the tombstones out here. They look pretty, but they're on the outside, you see. And that's what they were. And that's what can happen to us if we're not careful. We need to be examining ourselves and looking inward. Sin will separate you from fellowship with God. Look at verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. So is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. He said, This people, especially before the captivity, were doing the right things, performing the right rituals, but it was not pleasing to me because there was too much, you know, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9 says, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. A little sin, that's the type of sin. A little sin will just continue to grow if we don't deal with it. You see, holiness cannot be transferred, but defilement can. Defilement can. You know, a healthy man is not contagious, but a sick man is. <laughs> Think about it. You never caught health from anybody else, but you caught disease from somebody else, didn't you? You know, that can happen in the church. That can happen in the church. If the disease of bitterness, if the disease of anger, if the disease of impatience and the disease of gossip and tail-bearing begins to inflict, uh, to affect some in the church, it'll just spread throughout the church if we're not careful. We've got to be careful to look at ourselves. In Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah puts it this way. Verse 11, he said, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. Now wait, time out. Didn't you say to sacrifice, Lord? Didn't you say to burn incense, Lord? Yes, but the problem is they had blood on their hands. They were not doing it. They were doing it outwardly, but inwardly they were, as the Pharisees, full of dead men's bones. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity. Even the solemn meeting. He goes on to talk about how he's weary of these things. And he says in verse 15, when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide mine eyes from you. You know, there's a sense in which God won't hear us pray sometimes. I believe it's in Peter, 1 Peter over there. I don't remember the exact address. I didn't think about this when I was preparing the message. But he talks about dwelling with our wives, men, dwelling with your wives according to knowledge, dwelling with them and treat, treating them as the the weaker vessel or a fragile vase, he said, that your prayers be not hindered. You know that your attitude toward your family can hinder your prayers. 
It can hinder your relationship. You know, your relationship with God is that you're always going to be a child of God. But, you know, I'll always be my father's son, but I could have done things to hinder the fellowship. I could have done things that would have caused him to, to, to tell me to leave and never come back until I changed my ways. He goes on to say, down in, uh, in verse 20, look at verses 19 and 20. This is Isaiah chapter 1. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. One of the reasons I do not believe in the absolute predestination of all things is, number one, nowhere does predestination apply to anything but people in the Word of God, but also because that makes God the author of sin. And there's too many ifs in the Word of God for me to believe that, some, that, that we're not given the charge to do right. You see, there's choices we have to make. There's a lot of decisions we need to make in our lives to follow him or not. It doesn't get us to heaven. I'm not talking about eternally. He's taking care of that. But it's, at the new birth, we're given the ability now to serve God, and we ought to do it. He said, if you refuse and rebel, you're going to be devoured. But if you'll be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. In other words, as Haggai's saying here, examine yourselves look inwardly because if you don't god is going to bring chastening upon you look at verse 15 back in haggai chapter 2 and now i pray you consider from this day and upward from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the lord since those days were uh, when one came to an heap of 20 measures there were but 10 when one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press there were but 20 I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, but you turn not to me, saith the Lord. In other words, you remember, he says, how it was before that I brought this chastening upon you, and if you keep doing this again, I'll do it again. I'll bring chastening upon you once more. This is basically a restatement of what he talked about in chapter 1. You know, there's a place, it's one of the saddest statements. I read it just the other day in my daily Bible reading. Over in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17. You remember the northern kingdom was called Israel or Ephraim. Ephraim was also a, a name used for them. And we're talking about here the southern kingdom of Judah that was carried captive. But that northern kingdom was carried captive a century before the southern kingdom. And they never came back. They were just dispersed amongst the nations. And he makes a statement in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17, Ephraim is joined to his idols, let him alone. That's a sad place to get to, isn't it? You know, you can get there, child of God, where God will just leave you alone. I don't mean he's abandoned you, and I don't mean that he's neglecting you or going to throw you away, but it will feel as if God has left you alone. If you're not careful, I, hey, you know how I know this to be true? Well, first of all, God said it, but second of all, I've experienced it. I'll tell you, there was a time, a couple of different times in my life where I felt like the psalmist that God was clean gone forever in my life. Boy, that's a bad place to be. That's a difficult place to be. So here we have a message about sin. But in verse 18, he gives us a message about faith. Now listen to this. Okay, consider now from this day and upward, from the four, and he names the date, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, 
Consider it. And here's the question. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. And what's he talking about? What he's saying is this. I know you're struggling. I know you're working. And you don't see the fruits of your labor yet. You're, you're, you're laboring. You're getting a little discouraged. There's opposition outside of, your, of the kingdom of God. There's opposition from within the kingdom of God. There's discouragement. But he said, don't be discouraged. Have faith. Because he said, look, is the seed in the barn? And the answer is no. This is not during the time when harvest has been done. The seed's not in the barn yet. But I'm telling you, he says, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate hath not brought forth, even though they haven't brought forth, from this day I will bless you. In other words, you can trust God to do what he promised. The men had just, most likely, this, this according to uh, my research, this was late December. The men had just plowed the fields for the winter crops. And Haggai is calling upon them to trust God for the future harvest. They have not, they have not uh, harvested yet, but you can trust God that the harvest is coming. You can mark it down. I like what he said in verse 18. From this day and upward, <laughs> from this point forward, you remember. And by the way, the most prominent promise that he's given them is not prosperity or riches. It's not easy living. They're not in a place where they're going to enjoy the, the, the fruits and the, the, the comforts, rather, and the pleasures of Babylon. They've left Babylon, and they've gone to the kingdom of God where it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. But here's the promise. I am with you. Just like we've already said, we can trust God to do what he said he's going to do. And we can walk by faith and not by sight. What is faith? Well, we don't have to wonder. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Did you know faith is admissible evidence in the courtroom of your heart? Now, it's not, we're talking about a different courtroom than the courtroom of God. The only thing admissible in the courtroom of God is the blood of Jesus Christ. He took care of that there. But you know, there's a courtroom in our hearts and minds as we struggle in this life. You know, what's the point of faith? Why is it? Some people say you've got to have faith to go to heaven. Some people say you've got to believe this certain way or pray this certain way. Faith is not going to get us to heaven, but faith is going to let us enjoy a little bit of heaven here. You know, I, I don't have any comfort. I, I, Sherry will tell you, sometimes I get down and out. You know why I get down and out? Because I don't have faith. I'm not exercising faith. When I'm not acting in faith, I have no assurance of the promises of God. Now, now don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The assurance is there. You're always assured of the promises of God. They're always going to come true. He's always going to do what he said. But you yourself may not be assured of that when you're acting apart from faith. I have no assurance. That's why believing is so important. You know, there's not a promise in the Scripture that's made to an unbeliever. Now, now again, don't misunderstand me. We know that God is going to save for eternity every single one of His elect children. But every single one of those elect children doesn't possess the same degree of faith as every other one. And those that don't possess the degree of faith that they need don't have any assurance in themselves that God's going to do what He said. God's still going to do what He said. 
He said, yea, let God be true and every man a liar in talking about that very thing. But here's my point. You ought to believe. You ought to exercise faith, child of God. We ought to be faithful because that gives us hope in this life. It's admissible evidence. Faith is admissible evidence in the courtroom of our hearts and minds. And it convinces us that, yes, indeed, we are of the number that God has promised to take care of. When I get my mind on things of the world and I forget about faith, I don't have any assurance of that. It's still true. It still applies to me. But oh, when I can exercise that faith and walk by faith and not by sight, I can remember that even though I can't see everything God is doing, I can trust that he is on my side. Praise God. Elijah got into the same predicament, didn't he? Elijah got down there under the juniper tree. Elijah got over there and said, there's nobody left, God. It's just me. I'm all by myself. I'm ready to die. I'm tired of living because I'm tired of doing your work and nothing getting done. And, oh, the Lord showed him. He said, he said first, he said, you know, what are you doing here? You know, God's done that to me a few times. Chris, what are you doing here? You know, sometimes I feel like the Lord looks at me and says, there, you know, he looks down from heaven and says, well, he's back under the juniper tree again. I got to go get him out, you know, like a cat in a tree. You got to go get him all out all the time. I feel so ashamed of that. You know, I, God's having to always bail me out from under the juniper tree. And he comes down and says, okay, what are you doing here now? <laughs> well, Lord, I'm just depressed. I'm down and out. I'm, I'm discouraged. I, well, look, just get up and get back to work. That's what he told Elijah. He said, Elijah, you've got to anoint the king of Assyria. You still got to anoint the king of Israel. And then you've got to anoint your successor. You've got a great work ahead of you. I'm not done with you. If I, you know, essentially God's saying, if I were done with you, you'd be gone, brother. God is not done with us if we're still here. And he said to him this, he said, oh, by the way, in case you were wondering, I got 7,000 just like you that haven't bowed the knee to Baal, that are being faithful. Elijah, you think all that's going on in the kingdom of God is what you can see? No, no. Don't get to thinking that way, child of God. I confess to you, I get to thinking that way sometimes. Lord, I just don't see you working. I don't know. You know, lately, in the last six months, God has... has reinforced to me once again that there's a lot more going on out there than what I see right there in front of me. Praise God for that. Sometimes we get discouraged. He says, when you do, look inward. If you've got habitual sin in your life, something that's, you know, we all have besetting sins. They keep coming back to beset us. Deal with them. Pray. There's, there's, there's ways out. Stay in the Word. Deal with it and then Build up your faith. Live and walk in faith. Don't be faithless. Don't walk by sight. Because God is with you and is doing things no matter what the circumstances may otherwise appear. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.